right, welcome everyone to another podcast with Simran and Xiao. This is a follow-up um, of a previous podcast that we had, which is introducing liver cirrhosis. And this episode is based on topics that are a bit more useful clinically as opposed to like, you know, your basic, basic exam gold nuggets. So today we shall be talking about the quote-unquote liver screen, severity scores of liver cirrhosis, and management of liver cirrhosis. So these are quite dense topics, but it will definitely um, bring the picture together in terms of liver cirrhosis. So if you've been in the gastro ward round, you may have heard the term liver screen. Um, Shao, can you tell us a bit about what this means? Well, firstly, a liver screen is a group of investigations that are commonly ordered to investigate liver conditions. The tests are performed in a liver screen differ depending on the service or clinician. But as a general rule of thumb, I like to remember that the screening is basically a, co a compilation of all the causative conditions of liver cirrhosis. With that in mind, Simran, do you remember or know what are some of the common conditions that can cause liver cirrhosis? Yeah, so last year I remember um, in Monash Medical Center, clinicians um, usually ordered um, a bunch of things in the, in the liver screen, and this kind of included serum hepatitis A to E screening, AMA, ANA, PIANCA, ASMA, um, iron studies, serum copper, seroplasmin, alpha-1 antitrypsin levels, serum lipids, blood sugar levels, HbA1c, and insulin. So um, in terms of like, that's like the whole feel of it, but like the way I like to group it is they do the serum hepatitis A to E screening to look for viral hepatitis. The AMA and the ANA screen is for primary biliary cholangitis. The ASMA and the ANA is also for um, autoimmune hepatitis. There's a PIANCA screen, which can be done for, prim for primary sclerosing cholangitis. And so all the primary biliary cholangitis and autoimmune and the primary sclerosing, they have like these specific sort of like markers. Um, and then the iron study screen for hemochromatosis, the serum copper and the seroplasmin screens are for Wilson's disease. And then there's the alpha-1 antitrypsin levels, which look for um, the alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency. And then there's the serum lipids, blood sugar levels, HPO1 screen, which is done for the metabolic syndromes. That's great, Simran. That's a really extensive list of liver screens. And yeah, I can definitely vouch for that. That's something that you hear very commonly or see being ordered commonly in Monash Medical Center. And like I said before, keep in mind that this will differ if you're in a different service um, and this will differ slightly from clinician to clinician as well. So as a student, the most important thing to remember is that labs do not accept quote unquote liver screen as an investigation. So what normally happens is when the consultant orders a liver investigation, the junior doctors will usually have to quickly write down all those numerous tests individually. So um, this is the same for OSCEs. So just remember that in OSCEs, you don't want to say, I would like to order a liver screen. Instead, state which specific test that you would like to order. And if you suddenly blank out, I guess the best ones to really attack are the metabolic syndromes, so serum lipids, BSL, HbA1c, um, as well as your viral hepatitis. So do remember your serum hep A to hep E screening, and that would look really good for you when you do your OSCEs. Thank you for that pro tip, actually, because I think just remembering the whole list is quite um, 
quite a lot, but I think it's important to differentiate what's your main important ones that you don't want to miss. Um, so after investigating like all these precipitating conditions and diagnosing liver cirrhosis, clinicians will usually use like these scores to get a sense of the severity of the condition. Can you tell us a little bit about um, these scores? Yeah, for sure. So the score to remember as a medical student is the child Pew score. So the child Pew score looks at albumin levels, bilirubin levels, INR, level of ascites, and encephalopathy to determine a score. Depending on this score, patients can fall into three classes, A, B, and C, with A having the lowest score and highest life expectancy, and C, class C, with the highest score and the poorest life expectancy. Whilst it's not really important to remember how many score equals what class, I have been recommended to memorize the um, components of the score. So the easy way to remember how to calculate child, child Pew score is to remember A, B, C, D, E. Yes, it's another one of these A, B, C, D, E's. So A stands for albumin, B stands for bilirubin, C stands for coagulation, D stands for distension or ascites, and E stands for encephalopathy. Another score to keep at the back of your mind is a newer severity score, um, and it's called the MELD score, M-E-L-D score. In Monash Medical Center, the MELD score is used not so much to guide severity, but rather to guide the need and the urgency for a liver transplant. So the score ranges from 6 to 40, with 10 or greater, so 10 being the number you should remember, 10 or greater indicating that they need they should get a referral to a hepatologist or a liver transplant center. Okay, well, thank you for that. I like the little mnemonic ABCDE for the child Pew score. Um, and we've also got the MELD score. So those are the two scores. But um, unfortunately, not all patients with liver cirrhosis um, will qualify for a liver transplant. So this leads to the question, how do we treat liver cirrhosis? So you're quite right there, Simran. Um, yeah, the, unfortunately, the only cure that we have at this moment in time for liver cirrhosis is a liver transplant, but it's just not possible for there to be that amount of availability. So majority of patients with liver cirrhosis are managed with the intention to prevent progression and to prevent decompensation. So firstly, treat the underlying cause tends to be the number one priority um, in early or late. So if the patient has chronic hepatitis C, treat the hepatitis C. If they have liver cirrhosis caused by NAFLD, well then modify their risk factors. In terms of general and principles of um, liver cirrhosis treatment, all patients with chronic liver disease should be advised to cease any alcohol intake. And that's because alcohol is really puts a lot of strain on the liver. And if you drink some more, you're just going to put further strain and that will lead to further progression. They should also cease using any IV drug use for the same reasons. Since there are often also fatty changes seen in the liver, all patients, regardless of whether they have NAFLD or not, should be advised to avoid fatty foods, optimise your diet with lots of protein and exercise. You should also consider regular monitoring of their blood sugars, lipids and blood pressure because they are um, unfortunately more likely to develop metabolic syndromes if they don't already have them.
If the patient has a heavy history of alcohol intake, consider supplementing with thiamine, folate, and B12. And also to treat the patient holistically, don't forget about their family. So give their family lots of support, education, and the patient themselves. Chronic diseases can be really difficult on your uh, quality of life and your daily function. So offer them counseling services as well as psychological services. Then um, once you sort of like manage their lifestyle, you basically want to ensure that they're in a really good monitoring program. So in general, all patients with liver cirrhosis should have a six monthly screen of FBEs, LFTs, INRs, AFP and liver ultrasound. Depending on the progression and severity of the patient, they can be managed by a GP or gastroenterologist. As you know, patients with compensated liver disease are usually in the community and functioning as per normal but it's the decompensated patients that present to the GP or the ED department. Okay, well, that, was, that makes sense. So you've got the compensated, decompensated, and you've got this holistic approach to managing patients with liver cirrhosis. Um, so now on the topic of just um, like adding on to the topic of decompensated patients, how are, how are they managed? Yeah, so treating a decompensated patient is definitely different to compensated patients. So they can be categorised, I think, the easiest into how they present, which is usually a complication of their chronic liver disease. So I talked about a few last episode. So I think something that you guys can really do whilst you're listening to this podcast is basically list down all the complications you can think of. In terms of this episode, the ones that I would like to specifically talk about is management of ascites, esophageal varices, hepatic encephalopathy, and HCC. So I'm only going to talk about four today, but I'm sure if you look it up on Google or if you're able to write them down on a list, you're probably going to realize that there's more than four. So let's just first start with esophaviruses because it's a medical emergency. Esophageal varices presents as continuous hematomesis. The clinicians like to say that the blood is literally rolling out of their mouth and they can actually um, end up uh, throwing up bucket loads of blood. So this means that they're at a really, really high risk of hypovolemic shock. And in the um, early stages where maybe they're not so much vomiting at the blood, the blood can also go through the system and they can first present with melina but as your body is unable to process the blood quick enough, it can actually turn into PR bleeding. So just be quite cautious with these patients because they're really at high risk. So they need immediate attention. The, in ED, just follow doctors A, B, C, D. Protect the airway, and this may mean intubate them to prevent aspiration of the blood. Start fluid resuscitation with large bore cannulas. Aim for a blood pressure about 90 and you don't want it to be too high because you could actually worsen the bleed. Take basic bloods, so blood gas, FBE, LFTs, UEC, as well as coags. Call the endoscopy for an urgent gastroscopy. Chart vasoactive medications such as telepressin or erectriotide to basically try to slow down the bleed. In the endoscopy ward, the consultant may choose to perform esophageal banding to tie off the bleed or ligation to burn off the bleed. Gastric varices, which, um, which is different to esophageal varices, um, 
may be a little bit harder to band or ligate, but they can be treated with a tissue adhesive called cyanoacrylate. Um, and that's quite interesting because it was actually invented in the army. Um, basically, they were trying to figure out a really, really quick way to stop bleeding when you're out in the battlefield. So if the bleeding continues, then salvage therapy should be performed. And this can be via a balloon tamponade. Um, and in the future, a transjugular intrahepatic portosystemic shunt can be put in to relieve the portal hypertension. And hopefully that will um, basically take uh, the pressure away from the portal system and hopefully back into the systemic system. So it can all even out and prevent another um, bleed from happening. Um, another prevention therapy is propanolol. And propanolol can also be used to treat a patient after they've had the bleed, or it can also be a really good form of primary prevention, so before the bleeding even starts, for um, patients with liver cirrhosis who hasn't had any varices yet but do have a high um, or hypertension in their portal system. All right, so that was esophageal varices, so the medical emergency. Um, next, we're going to move on to ascites. Ascites presents as fluid overload, so you'll mainly see this as abdominal distension plus or minus peripheral edema. To manage ascites, it's basically approached in a stepwise manner. So the first thing to do is salt restriction and fluid restriction. If that doesn't work, then you move on to diuretic therapy and for um, liver cirrhosis induced ascites, spironolactone seems to be the best. Then thirdly, you want to try paracentesis with albumin infusion. So actually take that fluid out. And then fourth is basically performing a TIPS procedure or considering a liver transplantation. Moving on to hepatic encephalopathy. Um, so in the previous episode, I talked about how it has a characteristic flap and it is also characterized by a confusion. Hepatic encolopathy is treated with lactulose and you basically keep dosing until they have four runny bowel movements. So that's sort of the thing to remember. The idea is that you're trying to reduce the bacteria in the gut that produces the ammonia and basically the ammonia that's causing the confusion. Chronic encephalopathy can be treated with antibiotics rifaxidine, which is basically instead of reducing the bacteria, you're getting rid of the bacteria altogether. Finally, let's have a chat about hepatocellular carcinoma. Unfortunately, this um, form of cancer has a very poor prognosis. The three-year survival rate is about 12 to 13%. At this moment in time, HCC can only be cured with a, by a liver transplant. However, once again, there's always going to be issues with availability. A resection can also be considered, but unfortunately it's related to a very high rate in recurrence. And sometimes you also don't want the tumor to spread as well. So that's something to think about. But recently there has been um, other treatments that a radiologist can perform, such as a trans arterial chemoembolization, as well as local ablative therapy. Um, but what you probably most likely see in clinical practice is for because these patients are really really quite sick by the time that they do develop HCC a lot of them are not suitable for anesthesia 
So what they'll probably be treated with is serafinib, which is a biologic, and this biologic has been proven to prolong survival. It doesn't necessarily stop um, them from unfortunately passing away from HCC, but it does prolong their survival. Okay, well, thank you so much, Xiao. I guess um, you gave a lot of important information today. So just an overview, we covered the quote-unquote liver screen, which has heaps of um, screens that can be done to determine the underlying cause of liver cirrhosis. We went through the severity scores of liver cirrhosis. So the, the first one was the child's P score, which is to determine severity and life expectancy, and the MELD score to determine like the urgency of a, trans, of a liver transplant. And we finished it off with the management of liver cirrhosis, um, as well as um, including a compensated and a decompensated patient. And decompensated patient, we covered esophageal varices, um, ascites, hepatic encephalopathy, and hepatocellular carcinoma. So quite dense topics, but thank you so much for breaking it down in um, an easy to understand manner show. Um, I guess so hopefully um, everyone listening was able to get something out of this and it's a good introduction and I think it was quite um, informative as well. I hope you guys um, enjoyed it and uh, we'll see you next time. And just quickly, um, because we are still medical students, um, just if you do notice that there is something that has changed or maybe something that we haven't said correct, uh, don't, don't like feel free to correct us because we're more than happy to change what we've said and modify. Um, where in, in the end, this podcast is basically out there for students to help students. Um, thank you very much for listening and we hope you'll join us for our next episode.